0: Well, I wonder if you've ever uh, been overly uh, frustrated when you served someone, you went on your way to care for them, and they didn't even thank you, or they didn't reciprocate in a certain way, and that just sort of ate at you. How, how come they weren't more thankful for what I did? Or I wonder if you've ever been impatient because someone in your house put the noise level above what you have determined to be the appropriate noise level yeah some of you I can tell by your faces it already happened this morning. I wonder if you 've ever been overly nervous uh, by the state of the world where politics are headed, and this sort of this undergirding nervousness in your heart as you wonder where are we going what 's going to happen what 's going to happen for our kids? I wonder if you 've ever shut down because Someone that you care about and love is not loving you or respecting you the way that you feel like you should be. Or I wonder if you've ever had some sleepless nights because of anxiety. What's ahead? How's that conflict going to be sorted out? And it's just this anxiety that just wakes you up and you can't sleep. The mind keeps racing. I mean, if you're like me, you've said yes to one of those or some of those or maybe even all of those. Uh, I think uh, our passage in Mark, we'll get to that in a minute, uh, is a great passage to camp out on. To hear Mark's opening declaration uh, might be some freedom for our souls uh, this morning. I wanted to start out in Psalm 2 because Psalm 2 actually has some key words that can be uh, helpful for us as we jump into uh, the opening of Mark uh, today Uh, but if you look at the very end of psalm 2 he closes the psalm by saying blessed are all who take refuge in him the psalmist says how good how good it is to come under the wings of him or oh the joyful mind that seeks shelter in him of course then we have to ask well who is the him that he's talking about well, it's one of the figures that uh, is actually in the psalm and uses three terms to describe the hymn that he's talking about. Blessed is he who takes refuge in him. First time is up in chapter, uh, verse 2. As the kings of the earth and, and the nations have gathered against God to rage against God, look at verse 2, it says, against the Lord and against his anointed. That's, uh, that's the, the Hebrew uh, Messiah, so the anointed, and we'll get to that uh, later. He continues on, and God, uh, sort of, if you know the psalm or just heard it, he, God laughs at them. The nations, are, what are you going to come up against? Yahweh? What are you going to do? He says, Well, I've set my anointed. and In particular, verse 6 As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So the anointed of God is the king of, that God has appointed. And then he clarifies that even more. Verse 7 I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, You are my son. Ask of me, and I will make the nation your heritage. So you might say it this way that, that God's son here uh, is God's anointed king. You have those three terms the anointed, the king, and God's son, and all referring to the same person, right? God's son is God's anointed king. Now, <coughs> All those who take refuge in that king, they're the blessed ones. They will experience blessing. Now, this psalm then, in one way, is warning, right? Because if you saw uh, in in the text, those who don't seek refuge in this king, in this son of God, they will be crushed. He will break their teeth. Is that the language he uses here? Well, not, not, not in this one. Lest you be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. So this is warning against those who reject God's king, the son of God. But it's also, you might say, invitation. It says, come. Oh, the goodness, the goodness, the blessedness of coming, coming underneath his shelter to live for a bigger kingdom than yourself. It's an invitation. Come, come, taste and see what it's like to live under this king. And it's also promise. Yeah. The promise that despite what you experience in the world and what circumstances seem to tell you about who's truly king, no, 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 there's a greater king, one who rules over all nations. In other words, your earthly king is not the true king. There is a greater king. So this is warning, it's promise, it's invitation. And with that, that should be good. That will, that will prepare us for Mark uh, chapter 1. So you can go ahead up to Mark uh, last week we hit the overview of the whole book, his main themes, and today we get into walking through the book bit by bit. Uh, we're only going to hit the first three verses today, uh, and then next week we'll hit a little bit larger chunk. Uh, but this is just the very first words out of the gate for Mark that we want to consider let me read it, and then we'll, we'll take it piece by piece. First asking, what are, what are the important words or phrases in that first opening line? And then we'll take a look at this quotation. Why, why is he quoting from these prophets? What is he doing with them? What, what is he saying is being fulfilled uh, with the coming of Christ? But let me read them, and then we'll dive in. Verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So we want to consider, what, what are these important phrases right out of the gates from uh, Mark here? We should recognize this is the opening line, right? So if you think, of, remember this is narrative uh, predominantly narrative throughout the, the, the Gospel of Mark here. So you, you have to think of this a little bit as a story, right? Uh, the opening line of a story is very important. You're going to introduce a very key theme, typically. Or if you think of, about a movie, there's a two key spots where you'd never go to the bathroom during a movie, right? It's at the very beginning and the very end. The, uh, everything in the middle explains what, what needs to be solved at the beginning. Right? And you can't miss either one of these, otherwise, you're going to be super annoying to watch the movie with. Right? You stay for the beginning of the movie. Now, Mark is going to use key terms to make a, a particular declaration about Jesus. It's, it's, it's this is his trumpet call. Is that, was that a trumpet? That, no? <laughs> I don't know what it was. Who knows what instrument that was? But that's what Mark's way of calling the crowd here we go, this is who I'm going to talk about. This is the crowd gathering, or you might, right before the, 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 the important subject is going to come out, tonight's main event, you're going to introduce them, and the music comes on, and you say, ladies and gentlemen, introducing the five-time gold medalist. Or whatever it is, you're going to attach these certain aspects of the character to let the, the reader or the audience know, this is who I'm going to talk about. It's just some key terms here to take a look at. The first one we'll just consider, and I'm not going to go into great depths on any of these, but the beginning of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. Gospel, you may know, uh, is the term that means uh, good news, right? This is is the the good news of Jesus. Now, you might actually be surprised, uh, the word gospel uh, doesn't show up a whole lot in what we know as the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, John doesn't use the word at all. Luke doesn't use the word at all. And Matthew uses it four times. And Mark here uses it eight times. Now, so Mark, he does have a little bit of a key, key theme here. Right out of the gates, I'm telling you, I, I have some good news for you. Good news of Jesus. So you can catch, you can pick up a little bit of his tone right out of the gates. That Mark is going to tell a good story. This is a good message which actually speaks against, uh, I mean, certainly speaks against the world, how the world thinks of Jesus, uh, and, and how, how God's people go out and proclaim Jesus as, as if we have a bad message, right, or some harsh message. Certainly the message of Jesus has judgment involved, judgment for our sin, but it's also redemption. As we, Mark, Mark has good news for us, but it also speaks against our hearts. We, we should at least be willing to admit that. Sometimes we think of the the Message of Jesus or the gospel of Jesus as sort of boring. We've heard, we've heard all that. It's just, even at the beginning, just like pause and go, okay, hold on a second. God, help my heart hear the message of Jesus as good news. And Mark indeed has great news for us in this very passage. Oh, he continues on the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ. Uh, many of you know the Christ there is not his last name. It was Jesus of Nazareth, right? That's how they, they didn't have last names. But Christ here is then, a, it's a title. And Christ uh, is the, that's the Greek. In Hebrew, that would be Messiah, which is the word anointed. Okay, So that's what we saw in Psalm uh, 1. The anointed uh, ones, uh, typically in in the Old Testament, the the prophet, priests, and kings, these were the the mediators of God's people, those who would rule God's people, govern them, or proclaim God's word to them. Uh, These were the ones who were like, it's it's a way of receiving an external sign of God's blessing on the person to, to lead in salvific terms, to govern and care for God's people. And so there were many throughout the Old Testament who were anointed ones of God, to care for God's people. But yet there was one anointed one that the people were waiting for, the anointed one, right, from Psalm 2. It was the anointed one. You might remember when they asked John the Baptist, goes around preaching, and they say, are you you the anointed one? Are you the Christ? Or later in Mark, uh, one of the uh, chief priests will ask uh, Jesus, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? All right, they're waiting for the anointed. And here, Mark is making a, a bold claim. This is the title. Let me tell you about Jesus, the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. And then finally, we have the Son of God. Now, again, the Son of God is, is a title. And uh, uh, this, this one here we saw in Psalm 2 as well. This, when you hear son of God uh, referring to Jesus, you should hear kingship, kingly language. Uh, this is not merely talking about kind of like relational, kind of like a, a, like a almost, like, I mean, in, to use the illustration, like biological in that sense, like that he's, he's divine. Jesus is divine. And there's a very strong claim to that in the passage that we're going to see. But when you hear son of God, you should hear king. He's the king. That's from Psalm 2. Um, And then notice, if you go down to verse 14, uh, Jesus, as he proclaims his ministry, now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So notice he starts off with, I have the beginning of the good news of Jesus or the gospel of Jesus. And what is Jesus coming on and proclaim? The good news of God. And what is the good news of God? The kingdom of God is here. Right? The kingdom of God is here because the king is here. The son of God is now come. Okay, so when you hear Jesus, the son of God, you should hear the king. This promised king who would come and rule over all the nations. And that is who Mark wants to talk about. And then, of course, notice that uh, he starts off and says the beginning. The beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the good news of Jesus, the anointed one. The king. God's promised king. And then what does he do? He goes back 400 years. And he doesn't start at his birth like Matthew does or Luke does. He goes back. Let me, let me start from the beginning about the good news of Jesus. Isaiah said this. See, he goes backwards. So if I were to put this on film, I would have something. You know, I'd, I'd, it would be out in the wilderness because that's what dominates verses 1 to 13. Out in the wilderness, you would kind of have the opening credits and a little bit background music. And then over the ridge would start to come up Jesus the Christ. And the narrator would say something, or he would just say the words, in the beginning, the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Christ, God's promised king, the Son of God. And then it would go really quick remi- rewind. Now, let me tell you where the beginning starts way back in Isaiah. You're going to go backwards 400 years actually to Malachi, which you look at verse 2, he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And then he quotes from Malachi. So he actually quotes from Malachi and he quotes from Isaiah, which we'll take a really quick look at. Uh, This this would be common. This isn't weird. He's not doing something weird. This is what some would call like composite texts. So there's taking two texts from the Old Testament that have similar themes and recognizing, oh, these, these are getting at the same theme. They go together. And so Matthew, probably introducing the Isaiah one, perhaps because he's the, he the more of the major prophet. Malachi is a minor prophet in the sense of size of, of book. Isaiah is well-known. Mark also, some think, has this Isaiah theme in his book, but also it carries this wilderness uh, wilderness theme. But let's go back to Malachi. Let me read real quick again, what, Mal- or what Mark says Malachi says, and then what Isaiah says. I know that might be confusing there. What does Mark say that Malachi says? And then we'll see what Malachi says and see what's altered. Okay. So Mark says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Now, go back to Malachi. Keep your finger here so we can come back to it. Malachi is just two books before this. So write the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. So Malachi chapter 3 begins saying, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Now notice, some things are similar, right? God says, Behold, I send my messenger. Okay? Malachi says, Who will prepare the way before me? So what we have in Malachi is what you might call a visitation of God. God says, I'm going to come to my temple. I'm going to visit you. And when I come to visit you, I'm going to send a messenger in front of me to prepare the way. You see that? Now, look back at Mark. Mark here says, behold, I send my messenger before your face. See, Mark has altered it a little bit. See that? Malachi says that God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to visit you. And I'm going to send my messenger in front of me. Mark, quoting from that, says that someone else is going to visit. I'm going to send my messenger before your face. And what you have, Mark, making a very strong claim here is that God's visitation happened when Jesus came. Because Jesus is divine. Jesus is God in flesh, so that's not separate. He's not saying something different. He's just very, being very particular. When Jesus came, it was God's visitation to his people. He's going to come to his temple. And as you read the rest of, of this section in Malachi, which we'll do real quick, you'll see the very particular theme that Malachi is saying, this God, when God comes, when God visits, and he comes to his temple, he's going to do something. So, again, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Because he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like fine gold, and silver, And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, and the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and they do not fear me, says the Lord." Of hosts, because I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O Jacob, are not consumed. So here we have Mark then making the claim that in the coming of Jesus the King, what he's going to do is this is God coming to cleanse the temple. Right? You, You caught that idea of cleansing. That's the he uses two illustrations: the refiner's fire, that's refining silver, getting rid of the dross, burning it, getting it real hot, and then all the the non-silver particles come to the top and you scrape them off and you have a pure silver or the uh, fuller soap. Here. If you've ever washed, hand, washed clothes by hand, you're scrubbing it, rubbing, it off, rubbing off all the dirt. And then what do you have left is a clean, clean garment. God's going to come and cleanse. He's, he's going to bring salvation or like restoration with God, but it's, it's going to come through purging, through getting rid of the dross. All right, that's enough for Malachi. That'll give us enough where we need to go. Let's just go back to Isaiah. We'll do faster on that, just so you can see what he's doing with Isaiah. Just got to keep going backwards. Isaiah chapter 40. Beginning, we'll just do verses 1 to 3 here, or 1 to 4. Comfort, comfort my people, says God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. A voice cries, here, here's what we're, uh, Mark is quoting, in the wilderness prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and the uneven ground shall be become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Just go down to verse 9. Go on, uh, uh, go on up to the high mountain, O Zion. Herald of good news. Herald of gospel. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news. Verse 10. Behold, Yahweh, or the Lord, the Lord God comes with might and his arm arms rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and he, his recompense before him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He will gather lambs in his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So notice what the similarity is here in the Isaiah passage, the Malachi passage. We have God's visitation once again. Verse 3, right? Prepare the way for Yahweh. God is coming, and someone's going to come before and prepare that way. And notice how strong Isaiah actually says it, because he's using this capital in verse 3, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Yahweh here. This is God is coming, and when he comes, he's going to send a messenger, and when God comes, he's going to bring this restoration. He will tend his flock. Like a good shepherd, he's going to care for them. He's bringing restoration. So now go back to Mark, and we'll see. He's just quoting this straight up: "The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord." Well, who's the Lord that Mark is talking about here? Well, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is is coming. And so if you take the Isaiah passage, prepare the way for Yahweh, hear Mark quoting that and saying the messenger is going to come and prepare the way for the Lord who is Jesus because Jesus is God in flesh. So Mark is making a huge, huge claim here about Christ. Now remember, if, if Mark is that man in 1451 that ran naked uh, from, from the denial, if it indeed he is, Um, He he would have actually seen God enfleshed. And we know for sure, if this is John Mark, the author, he he ran with Peter and Paul. Guys who who gave their life for this message. Peter, who saw him and touched him, ate, ate with him. And yet Mark's saying, that Jesus was God enfleshed. He is God's promised divine king who brings restoration with God and he purges evil. And Mark's going to paint a picture of that, that we experience partially in this world and ultimately on the final day. So that's how I would sum up what Mark is trying to get right out of the gates. I have good news for you. Jesus of Nazareth, that Jesus is God's promised divine king who brings restoration and purging. So the question I just want to reflect on and then is is how should we hear that? I think much much like Psalm 2, for some, that should be a great warning. Because this Jesus, this king, is bringing purging. He is bringing judgment. And in the book of Mark, predominantly the people that he calls judgment on it's typically the people who are the religious folk, right? It's those who play lip service towards God. You, you praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. They've done all the things, all the, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the, the scribes, the Herodians. They, they do all the external things, but the heart is not actually there. They don't want Jesus as the king. They might want Jesus as sort of a, a rabbit's foot in their pocket, or some sort of a partner in ministry, but not the king that they must worship and obey. And as you know, as good as I, many people fill the churches as they gather Sunday morning who actually have not come underneath the wing of King Jesus. And so the passage like this should warn us, those who may be here, And don't actually come under King Jesus and say, Jesus, whatever you say, I declare is right. I will obey whatever you call me to do. You are the king. I am not the king. And friend, if you're here and if you are not uh, willing to do that, if you have not laid your life under the King, uh, King Jesus, this is a great warning for you. Jesus Looked at the crowds and he said, At one day when the Son of Man, referring to himself, comes back, he will send his angels before him. They will gather up the elect and the wicked, the righteous and the evil. And the righteous will go to everlasting life and the the evil to terrifying the lake of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you will sit underneath the judgment of God forever and i believe god would call you to turn and put turn away from your sin turn away from living for as if you are king and come underneath the wings of king jesus worship him alone and be restored to god but for many of us uh, i think we, we should hear this passage that if you are one who is under king jesus those two other ways invitation and promise this isn't an invitation to us Jesus is the promised divine king. He reigns over all things. Come into the kingdom. Live for that kingdom. Don't live for that small kingdom of yourself that you try to make. As Paul Tripsil often wonderfully says, we love to live for the small kingdom of self. Put this little bubble around us and protect it all that we can. And it enslaves us. And we shrink the world down so small. This is an invitation. Live for a greater kingdom. Let me give you an example of how uh, I might live, and I do live for the smaller kingdom. I trade the, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, for this little kingdom of Dan. This one I might call the reciprocity meter. I want, I want people to reciprocate my kindness to them. So it might be that when I, when I uh, load the dishwasher, I did good. I helped the kids get out to school. I want my wife to come home after the gym and say thank you. Is that too much to ask? And she she does, but she she might be busy. And so then you know why do you think I throw in these little things? Oh, have you uh, have have you seen that uh, that mug that I was looking for? Oh, I'm. I must have. I must empty the dishwasher, or I'm fishing, fishing for thanks, or whatever it is. Or maybe I made, maybe I made a meal, and uh, I I like to make pasta bake for the family. And I thought, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna help serve the family. I'm gonna make a pasta bake, and Danica's gonna be so happy when she comes home. And she comes home, and she knows I'm cooking the pasta bake. She smells it, and uh, she simply just asks, "Hey, did you did you get any vegetables ready for dinner too?" And how do I hear that? I hear that as criticism. Now, she's not criticizing at all. She's just asking a question. And I think, can't you be grateful? Don't you see what I did? I made a pasta dish. You should love this. And you see what's happening is I want thanks. What, what's being exposed there actually is I'm not actually serving anyways. I'm serving so that I get something, at least partially. I get praise. I get thanks. This is little kingdom living. Right? And that, it shackles you. It enslaves you. Because now all of a sudden, my, my happy meter is all dictated by how people respond to what I do. That's enslaving. But if, if I can live for the greater kingdom, for the great King Jesus, and do the very same things, making a pasta dish or uh, unloading the dishwasher... And I say you know God I I thank you for the, the gift of having a family and I just simply I want to serve I want to serve you by 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 un, uh, un, unloading the dishwasher I want to give them a meal and whether they thank me or not that that's beside the point. I get to serve king Jesus and demonstrate what it looks like this, to how Jesus serves me and now I can serve them. Thank you for this opportunity. Like suddenly I'm free. I'm free from what other people do in response. I don't, I'm not, my happiness level is not going up and down based off of that because Jesus is the king and I, I'm living for a bigger kingdom. Or take uh, my comparison meter that I bring out. You ever, do you ever compare yourself to other people? Right? Maybe, maybe physical qualities, you're, you're sizing yourself up or uh, maybe, maybe it's uh, personalities, you're sizing yourself up or maybe it's uh, abilities. You know, where you compare intellectually with this person, or where you compare like the job skills with this person, and you're just comparing, or or maybe it's accomplishments. What have you done? This is what I've done, and you just you just kind of like we, we am I the only one that compares themselves? Yeah, no, we do this all the time, right? And it's enslaving because my meter, my happy meter, my joy-filled meter is always going up or down depending on who I'm interacting with and who I'm around. Am, am I better than them? Am I worse than them? I don't, what do I do? But what if I live for a greater kingdom and a greater king who accepts me as I am in him and I don't have to prove anything to anyone? C- can you imagine like walking into every room for the next week and never having to compare yourself to someone and never feeling like, oh, somehow I got I to gotta feel better about myself so I have to demonstrate like the, I, I, I can do this or I kind of, kind of got to fish for compliments, or when this person criticizes me, I, I quickly go over to this group to, to make sure I hear praise and say, yeah, yeah, what they said, th- that doesn't matter anything because these people said this, right? It's, I'm constantly wanting to feel better about ourselves, about how other people compare to us, and it's enslaving. Jesus being the divine king frees us from that. We have a bigger kingdom to live for. This is an invitation. Come, live for the greater king. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Or one more, you might say that the compliance meter. We all have these rules in your home, in your job, your families, about how people are supposed to behave. Right? The noise level is here. It's, It's not written in God's word, but it's written in your word. Right? This is where people must be. Or my spouse ought to show me love this way. Sure, I know there's whatever, five love languages or whatever you say, and this is the one I sort of demand. And if I don't get that, I, I just I feel like nothing, and I just sort of shut down. Or I demand apologies when you use this type of language, and that's what I need. Or I just, I just want the kids to obey what I ask. You know, I give them a command, and as long as they obey me, I'm happy. But when they don't, especially if I have to say it three times, I'm upset. And suddenly what's happened is my kingdom rules are being violated. And I'm upset. And now my happiness and my joy is dependent on everybody else keeping this set of rules, complying with my kingdom. And if you don't, I'm unhappy. But what if I live for a greater kingdom? And suddenly I I live by his rules. I'm here to serve him he serves me, he forgives me, that I can I can be so gracious with other people. Sure, there's no problem by saying, hey, kids, we want a noise level right around here, right? That, there's no problem with that. But as soon as it goes up, I don't have to explode because I'm living for King Jesus for a bigger kingdom. So this is, in one sense, an invitation, but it's also here a promise. Jesus, brothers and sisters, is God's divine king today, regardless of what you're experiencing. Circumstances often paint a different picture. Jeff uh, Barrett, uh, missionary, uh, Jeff and Meredith Barrett, missionaries in Albania from us. Uh, Jeff, Jeff's dad, Walt, uh, bef- uh, who recently died, you may know remember, uh, as he pastored, uh, if I get my story right, I believe he, he began every service, and he would stand up, and the first thing he would say is, Brothers and sisters, Jesus is on his throne today. I love it. How good would it be to know that every day you woke up, Dan, Jesus is king today. I know that some of the things happening in our world concern me. But no leader of any part of the world can cause the kingdom of God to go in a certain direction that God does not allow it to go. And how many hours are spilled sometimes of watching the news, trying to figure out, making sure we get the right person in politics, making sure things go our way. How nervous do we get sometimes? And how visceral can we be towards other people? Because it's really fear. We're afraid. And we're afraid what's going to be for our kids Living for that kingdom enslaves us and it's terrifying because we all <laughs> everything has to line up always. But what if we live for the greater king, the greater kingdom, and we say, you know what? It doesn't matter what they do. Yes, the kings of the earth take their stand against Yahweh and against his anointed. You know what God does? He laughs at them. They can't do anything apart from God's hand. That's freedom. We can still do some political things and you know you know try to get certain people elected or whatever if that's what you want to do but ultimately we can say even if that doesn't happen Jesus is still on the throne he is still good he is still faithful i can still trust him wouldn't that be wonderful to know when you're full of anxiety and when you're when you are having a hard time sleeping how is this conflict going to be solved what's going on with my health what's going on with my kids and the brain won't slow down. One of my favorite psalms is actually Psalm 3. So if you remember, Psalm 1 has this phrase, blessed is, he starts off with it, blessed is he who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, right? Uh, but, but he meditates on the law of God day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, right? Which yields its fruits. He will be strong. So blessed is he who meditates on God's law. That's Psalm 1. He will be strong. Psalm 2, blessed is he who takes refuge in the Son, God's King, So you have Psalm 1, blessed is he who meditates on God's law. Blessed is he who takes refuge in the sun. Psalm 3 is when David is fleeing from his son Absalom in the wilderness. Gets some of the most powerful people after David to kill him. And you know what David does out in the middle of the wilderness when people are hunting him? I love this. It says, I lay down and slept. I awoke because the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid, though thousands encamp around me. I read that and I'm like, how in the world does he do that? You have thousands of people hunting for you and you go to sleep? Could you imagine sleeping if if the government called Secret Service to come hunt you down and you're hiding over in Wauwatosa? You're not sleeping. Ah, but... Here it seems to be, in Psalm 1, 2, and 3, it seems to be those who meditate on the God's law, those who trust themselves underneath the wing of the sun, oh, they'll find sleep. Because their souls will be restful. Because ultimately, God is king. It doesn't matter what they want to do to me. They can't change God's plan. No one can thwart God's plan. God alone is king. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is the king regardless of what you experience this week. That is great great news. It is good to worship Jesus the King. It is good to come under his wing. As the psalmist said, oh, the goodness of taking refuge in him. It's a great privilege as a church to serve uh, King Jesus. Uh, We have been, as a church, gathered under his wings for almost 15 years, Next, just under a month. We celebrate 15-year birthday uh, for Crossway. Uh, some, Some of the originals Mr. Brad Stibby, Matt Dorman, uh, I think that's it for originals. What's that? Or oh, yeah, Mary Dorman, Yeah, she's not sitting there, but yeah, right. Mary would be right there. So I mean, we've obviously a lot of things have changed through the years. We've had times where we, we wonder how we're gonna meet budget and God has been faithful to provide for us. We've, we've had some ups, we've had some downs. We've, we've come through some really hard, hard things at, at times, but God has been faithful. Jesus the King has cared for us through 15 years and we bless his name. And we, we thought, you know, we haven't done this for a number of years. We haven't like celebrated like our birthday or anything or with like cake or anything. I think once, one year we did hats, remember that? I think year 10. Um, so we thought, hey, you know, we also are, are, we just came to a completion of virtually a, a decade-long project that we've been working on of really joining an, an association. So we thought that would be really important for us as a congregation. For those who were around uh, back a decade ago, uh, we were trying to build this association, called, which eventually was called the Crossway Association, association of six churches, theologically like-minded, mostly in the same region, uh, which. Had some, you know, when it got off the ground, it seemed like it was going in the direction we wanted in the sense of <clears throat> doing some marriage retreats together. We did some leadership things together, and then we did uh, leadership gatherings uh, for, with the pastors. Um, I don't know if it was monthly or bi-monthly in those early years. Um, and we were ho- hopeful that it would, would kind of be able to provide some more infrastructure. But as the years went on, it, we, nobody really had the time or resources to keep putting into it. So it eventually just became a, a lunchtime meeting with the pastors which was great. We were the youngest leadership team involved, which we benefited the most, so we loved it. Uh, but o- of course, over the years, that, um, it just was hard. We were traveling a long, longer distance, two hours there, have lunch for two hours, travel back. You know, it was just a long days, and, and the association decided to dissolve. 2018. That same year, we had merged churches. We kind of knew most likely that the association is going to dissolve, and so as we were merging with South City, we thought, or we had the discussion, like if that does dissolve, we'd like to join an association again. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out what that is when the time comes. Uh, we merged churches. We had major projects to do as we said when we merged, we'd do a new constitution, we do a new website, new logo, new mission statement, a lot of new things, new order of service, all in our opinion were fabulous. We caught wind from other people because we were ready to keep going. Like, let's hey, let's, and, and we moved to Alverno. We were like, hey, let's let's do the next project. We kind of caught wind like, can we just like chill for a minute? Like, <laughs> like yeah, great, good change, but we're, we're cool just like enjoying this for now. So we thought, okay, yeah, no, no problem. Uh, in the background, we were still hunting for associations. We were getting to conferences, doing a lot of research. Uh, we were really looking forward to that. And then obviously COVID hit and we thought, oh, let's keep putting hitting that pause button. Uh, but as you know the story, uh, finally, over the last several months, that that, has, that project that started roughly a decade ago has finally come to completion. Whew. And we are now part of the EFCA and SEND and Pillar, which we're, we're grateful for, we celebrate that. And, you know, it's not a marriage. If, if things go wrong in things, we can always change. Uh, but we're grateful uh, for that. We're grateful for God's faithfulness to us. So we actually do have two cakes out there today to celebrate. One says praising Jesus the King, because he is the King, brothers and sisters. And one says uh, thankful for God's faithfulness to Crossway, which we indeed are. So 15 years, I think it's February 17th is the official birthday, if you want to. To know that, but with that, let's uh, let's go to the Lord's table uh, together. Uh, proclaim the Lord's death together. Jesus brought His kingdom, not the way the kings of the earth bring their kingdom with pomp. So what do you say? Pomp and circumstance, right? He came, he lived quiet life, died in the place of his people, rose from the dead, and now he's reigning. So we proclaim the Lord's death. Together. The Lord's table is open for all who proclaim Jesus as king. You have come underneath his wing and you say, yes, I trust him alone for salvation, for restoration with God. I trust in his blood. And I'm, I'm seeking to walk by faith, not perfectly, but I'm in the right direction. I'm repenting when I sin. Uh, if you're here this morning and that's you, then you are uh, welcome to join us. If, if you're here this morning and you are not walking in repentant faith Uh, in Jesus then we ask you not to participate but uh, first let's come and grab the elements then return to your seat and we'll partake together. Brothers and sisters you can know that you have restoration with God because the divine king the son of God gave his life on your behalf. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took bread and after giving thanks he broke it and said this is my body do this in remembrance of me. Jesus says that the cup it is the new covenant and in the new covenant we're promised that God would take out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh and give us the Holy Spirit empowering us to live as God has called us to let the cup remind you that you do not have to live for your kingdom this week there is freedom and we can live for the greater kingdom the kingdom of Jesus for he took the cup in the same way after supper saying this cup It is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me.